This is the Mormon Expression Podcast. Find us on the web at mormonexpression.com. Okay, welcome back to another edition of Mormon Expression. I'm your intrepid host, John Larson. And tonight we are um, finally getting around to recording the anticipated Three Nephite episode. And we brought in some of our uh, regulars, of course, uh, from the West Coast. We have George. Hi, everybody. And from beautiful Las Vegas, we have uh, Mike. Hello. And from the heart of uh, Zion, we have Tom. Hey, what's up, guys? And Niall may or may not be joining us. He's uh, uh, fiddling around with his equipment. Tonight we brought on a, another special guest. We have Casey, and Casey is the um, visionary behind the Holy Fetch website. Hey, Casey, how you doing? Good. All right, so um, we want to talk about the three Nephites, and I, I think uh, where we want to begin is, um, we'll, this is more at Mike's court, but... Let's start from the beginning. Mike, who are the three Nephites? All right. When Christ came among the uh, the Nephites after uh, he visited the Americas, he wanted to pull together 12 from their group to take care of him after he, he left again. Uh, and as he was doing it, he uh, this is from 3 Nephi chapter 28. He, uh, he said, what would you desire of me? This is similar to the conversation he had with them uh, uh, when he was talking to Peter and the rest of the apostles. And they all desired that they, uh, after they'd lived in age, they could speedily come to live with him in heaven. But three of them held back um, and said they would uh, they would rather stay and work. Uh, and if you look in Doctrine and Covenants section 7, uh, Joseph Smith received a revelation with a little more detail on it. Uh, he says, And the Lord said, un, said unto me, John, my beloved, what desirest thou? For if, if you shall ask what you will, it shall be granted unto you. And I, the Lord, said unto him, Lord, give unto me power over death, that I may live and bring souls unto thee. And the Lord said unto me, I say unto thee, Because thou desirest this, thou shalt tarry until I come in my glory, and shall prophesy before nations, kindred, tongues, and people. And for this cause the Lord said unto Peter, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is it to thee? For he desired of me that he might bring souls unto me. Uh, but thou desirest that thou mightily, mightest speedily come unto me in my kingdom. I say unto thee, Peter, this was a good desire, but my beloved has desired that he might work, that he might do more or a greater work yet among men than what has been done, what has before done, what he has before done. Yea, he had undertaken a greater work, therefore I make I will make him as flaming fire and a ministering angel. He shall minister for those who shall be heirs of salvation who dwell on the earth. And I will make thee to minister for him and for thy brother James. And unto thee I will give this power and the key of this ministry until I come. Uh, this is the same thing that happened to the three Nephites. They did uh, a transfiguration. They became, uh, they weren't resurrected beings, but... Uh, they would continue living uh, to work until the second coming. Um, the, this had happened to other people before. The three Nephites aren't unique. Uh, John wasn't unique. There's always been these these selected individuals that become kind of angels. Um, let's see. Uh, did you want to do the Franklin D. Richards quote here? Oh. I'm I'm sorry. I I kind of dozed off for a minute there. So, all right, let's. This feels like Elder's Court, guys. All right, so so let's put this back into English. So, um, Jesus Christ has a a mortal ministry in uh, in Jerusalem, and and he he dies, and we all heard that story before. He is resurrected, and according to the Book of Mormon, after he departs from um, Jerusalem, uh, he appears in the Americas to the um, lost civilization of the Nephites and the Lamanites. And when he comes there, he sets up a church, um, supposedly, or uh, or like the church that's in the, uh, the old world. And he sets apart 12 disciples um, 
patterned after the 12 um, apostles from the New Testament. And um, these guys, he, he introduced his church and all, all that sort of stuff. And three of these guys um, say, well, what we want to be able to do, our, our, the Jesus says to them, you can do whatever you, I'll give you guys, all 12 of you, whatever you want. And, and nine of them say, we want to die quick so we can go to heaven. And three of them say, we want to stay around till you come the second time to, to, you know, kick butt and take names and do what you're going to do when you come back. Am I getting it right? Is that the story? That That's the better English using correct. Okay. Yeah. Didn't they say something they wanted what John the Beloved got or something too? Didn't they rope that in there? Yeah. So, so there's kind of, this is, there's a cryptic passage in the Bible that says something like this, that, that you can interpret to mean that, that John, the, the apostle, was going to tarry until um, Jesus returned, um, which is c- coming nigh unto uh, two thousand years now, right? What happened with the uh, when the three Nephites were when he asked the three what they wanted, they actually didn't say anything. They were just kind of thinking it, and then that's when Christ said, "Oh, I know what you want. You want the same thing that." John the Beloved asked for, and that's where we kind of get this idea that that John the Beloved also received this gift. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And um, and the three Nephites show up in the Book of Mormon, I think, twice more, right? Um, so so this would be circa you know thirty five AD around there, and they show well, up they, twice they more. Mentioned that they 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 were ministering, and that people had tried to kill them, and then later on they show up again to minister to Mormon and Moroni and talk to them. They make those two appearances. So Moroni um, and and Mormon, Moroni is the son of Mormon. This is about, what, 400 years after, 400 AD, um, and the civilization has come to an end. There's been fighting, and there's been warring, and Moroni and Mormon are the last two records keepers who compiled and write the Book of Mormon and then bury it in Hill Cumorah in upstate New York. And um, you're all, you're all going to let that one pass, huh? So, so, <laughs> wasn't that where it happened? That's, that's where, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. Yeah. Okay. So, so, and they, and th- so these three, these three Nephites who've been hanging around this whole time appear to, um, Moroni and Mormon and minister to them, right? That's the story we've been led to believe, yes. Okay. So, so the Book of Mormon, um, of its 430 pages or whatever, spills quite a bit of ink to cover these guys, right? And this has been, for the people who really get into the three Nephites, this has always been their argument that, well, this has to be important for us, otherwise they wouldn't have wasted all that precious gold ore that they had to pound this book out on to tell us about the three Nephites. That's... Well, in addition to that, they they actually mystique it a little bit because Mormon doesn't ever reveal their names, right? Yeah, and they specifically say, I was going to tell you their names, but I'm not going to. Now, now in, yeah. in the book, it does tell you what the 12 names are, right? It names the 12 um, right. disciples. But it doesn't tell you which of those three. So you got like a 25% chance of guessing the, the, the names. Yeah, I think there's something about there's power in the name so he doesn't say mention what it is so you don't have any ability over them or something. Yeah, and some of the names are kind of common, aren't, aren't they? Like Isaiah or um, they're, they're not like, like really strange names. Um, oh, what verse is that they list all the names in? I, that's all right. I, I, that's all right. Okay, so fast forward um, in time. Um, and and so what's going to start happening is we're going to start getting references to the three Nephites because everybody knows that they're out there and they've been out there doing something for for a lot of years. Now, the first reference I know about is the David Whitmer one. Do, do any of you know of any references um, in the church before that? No. Did, did you want to go over what the nature of their calling is before we talk about all the showing up and what they're doing so we can ch- decide which ones are fake and which ones are real? Sure. What is the nature of their calling? What are they supposed to uh, be doing for 2,000 uh, years? Well, just just to go over briefly what they are, I, I wanted to do that Franklin D. Richards line. Do you want to read the two paragraphs or want me to read the one I have? Go ahead and read I'll yours. go ahead and read mine. Uh, Elder Franklin D. Richards offered the following fascinating observation regarding this this experience of the three Nephites. They wanted to tarry until Jesus came, and that they might, he took them into the heavens and endowed them with the power of translation, probably in one of Enoch's temples, and brought them back to the earth. 
Thus they received power to live until the coming of the Son of Man. I believe he took them to Enoch City and gave them their endowments there. I expect that in the city of Enoch there are temples, and when Enoch and his people come back, they will come back with their city, their temples, blessings, and powers. So that that's how they got transfigured into becoming these angels. So, so you're saying from that that these guys have received their endowments? They received the endowment. Well, they, they received the priesthood blessing to be trans, transla- translated. Would it be similar to what we refer to, refer to today as receiving their endowment? Uh, so these I guys have got to be walking. I think it's a specific type of ordinance. Okay, so it's not – they aren't walking into the distribution center buying new underwear every, every few months then, right? I think they had already had their, end, their endowments, but they, they – this was a separate priesthood ordinance. The same as like when we – when it comes time for you and I to be resurrected, we'll, re, we'll receive knowledge on how to perform a priesthood ordinance to resurrect ourselves. Okay. These men received a, a priesthood ordinance for transfiguration. Which is different than our resurrection. So uh, okay, I'm just checking because I just got to make sure that we could put out a watch for him at all the distribution centers. So, <laughs> so we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. Franklin D. Richards gave that talk in 1884. So, so he's given, a, and this is one thing I love about the early accounts of the three Nephites is they have so much rich detail. I mean, not only do we know that there's three Nephites, but they're they go up to the city of Enoch where there's lots of temples. And and parts you didn't read, Franklin Richards talks about John the Baptist being in the North Countries and all that sort of stuff too. Um, but so so let, let's let's take a step back to some of the earlier accounts. And I was referring to the um, the sort of famous uh, David Whitmer account. Now the 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 David Whitmer account actually I think the original source is Joseph Smith's mother, Lucy Mack. And the story everybody's heard it. It's in the manuals. Talks about that um, David Whitmer wanted to rush over to see his buddy Oliver Cowdery and meet Joseph Smith, but he had to plow his field. And he wakes up one morning, and the, pl- the field's been halfway plowed, and the plow's stuck in the ground, and they're the straightest furrows that he's ever seen. And he works the day plowing, and he's able to plow, like, several days' worth of, of work. But then he has to um, um, cast lime or something out onto his fields. And some one of his, uh, his wife or somebody sees three men come and take care of that for him for for him so that's the first um real account in church history that we're talking about um pre pre uh, i guess this would be post book of no let me see oh we're talking about 1829 so this is um potentially pre but the pre book of mormon but they don't identify these guys and frankly this story doesn't show up till much later i mean we don't have any like we don't have any contemporary account of this from 1829. So that's what I'm the, wondering about is, is why would they show up to plow a field of all the work they had to do? What does plowing a field help? Well, and, and, and you're, you're coming to a big question that I have as I've been reading through lots of these stories. Um, you know, we talk about the mission. The question is what they're always doing stuff like changing tires and, um, and plowing fields and, um, um, hitchhiking and, why? I mean, <laughs> exactly. An angel's duty is to take care of stuff that people can't take care of themselves. Why would an angel come and plow a field or change a tire? It just—it seems a little silly. So now, Casey, you've you've seen a lot of the um, more contemporary accounts. What are some of the themes that you see that are come come in a lot of those? Um, one thing is the time period can jump, but the story will stay the same. So I've noticed where, you know, you'll hear the story where it took place during pioneer time, but then sometimes you'll hear the exact same story and it took place during the 50s, and you can actually get the exact same story and it's been updated for the 80s. And so, you know, I mean, it seems like these stories just get updated every 20 to 30 years. Yeah, I I noticed that. There's one story in particular that was told early on um, about... Columbus meeting the um, three Nephites. Have you all read this one? <laughs> I've heard of that one, yes. So Columbus, apparently, they, they come and land or in one of the landing parties, and there are the whole all the natives, and there's these three guys in white robes with beards in front of them. And now, now Farms 
Farms has taken task to some of the retelling of this. This was taken out of out of other stories and saying that they've kind of doctored him a little bit to make him sound better. But then there's another telling that LeGrand Richards did in conference in about 54, where he talked about the three Nephites showing up in some of the um, Palestinian, you know, Israel, early Israeli wars. And many of the elements from those two stories match. So you're, you're seeing the same sort of themes come up again and again and again. Um, and, you know, like, like one that, that, that happens a lot is that they're bearded and they are wearing white. Um, is there, is there very many accounts that uh, they look uh, dark-skinned or like uh, Native Americans? Yeah, yeah th that's interesting because I, I specifically look for that, and it's actually quite the opposite. They're usually um, being cited as being white. Um, and that's especially... Um, there is a, I got a contrary story. For oh, that. you got a contrary story. Okay, great. So there's a, one of the famous, and I'm pretty sure it's on holyfetch.com, is that uh, the sister missionaries track being track into the serial killer, and once again, this can get updated. Sometimes it's Ted Bundy, sometimes it's whoever, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer, whoever's the most famous serial <laughs> killer at that time. Sometimes it's just a no-name killer. But the uh, police, you know, the sister missionaries knock on their, on this serial killer's door. He lets the missionaries go without any problems. The uh, police arrest him a few days later, somehow find out that the sister missionaries were there. It's never explained how the police find this out, but... Um, they ask the serial killer, why did you not attack these, you know, sister missionaries that knocked on your door? It would have been very easy for you to do so. And the answer is always the three giant Indians that were standing behind them. And it's always Indians or Native Americans or some sort of term that would imply that they looked like they were Native Americans. You know, now that you mention it, I, I, I've looked through my notes here, and I do have some accounts that I ran into that do talk about Native Americans. But interestingly enough, they're all from 19th century and pretty much, I mean, in the 20th century, pretty much after 1950. But all the accounts that I can find from the 19th century all emphasize oftentimes the bearded white nature. And I think that's, that, to me, reflects sort of the attitudes that Mormons had about the the Nephites. You know, in the early 19th century, this was a Jewish civilization, a lost civilization, and, you know, the Nephites were white and delightsome, and the Lamanites were dark and loathsome, and then... Pure the, and delightsome, not white <laughs> and delightsome. Uh, well, <laughs> hey, you, you read your Book of the Mormon, I'll read my Book of Mormon. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. And, and, and you know, as as they moved into the, the a more um, uh, 20th century interpretation, more the the modern ones I read don't tend to make that sort of emphasis. And as a matter of fact, the people seem to always realize later. Now, on on Holy Fetch, do you have a collection of the the hitchhiker stories? Because there's a there seems to be a whole um, theme of those. I do have some, yeah. And, and something I find interesting with the hitchhiker story is a lot of times people think it's John John the Beloved, actually, more than three Nephites. For some reason, it's, it's more likely that John's out hitchhiking than a Nephite. I, I thought John was in the North Pole with the uh, Ten Tribes. <laughs> well, that could be, too. <laughs> uh, another thing that comes up with the hitchhiker stories, and we'll, we'll talk about some of the details here in a minute, but I noticed a lot of those stories came from, like, southern Utah, you know, south of Payson or, or out, in the, out in their desert. And I oftentimes had the question, you know, out of all the places the three Nephites could be hanging out, why are they always hanging out like in, uh, you know, in southern Utah? Well, they're, they're, didn't some of them hang up, hang around uh, the Dream Mine? If you guys recall back into the Dream Mine <laughs> podcast, there's a few ne three Nephite sightings there too. So, yes, and Alma the Younger. That was the first I heard of ah, Alma the Younger sightings with the with fantastic. the with the with the rubbing of the sword wounds. We refer y'all back to the. Uh, the podcast with the dream mind. Episode 30. So another thing that's interesting about the hitchhiking um, ones is they tend to mirror these urban legends that show up outside of uh, Mormon culture. You, you you find the same urban legends without, of course, the three Nephite thing. Now, I, I guess faithful LDS would say that that's just um, the story leaking out to the Gentiles, but um, others might argue the story's been borrowed. Interesting, too, that the hitchhiker always disappears they never drop the hitchhiker back off and let them on their way. But usually the hitchhiker will give some sort of doomsday warning about that you need to get your food storage prepared or 
<laughs> something to that like, and then they just disappear. Yes, um, I've I read some earlier ones um, from the 50s and 40s that didn't have the um, food storage warning, but a lot of the ones that I've seen, like in um, emails and the ones that have been floating around of late, have that food storage warning. They'll they'll pick them up, they'll ask them something. Do you have your food storage in line? And then they'll 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 disappear. So one thing I was always curious about on this disappearing thing, and this would always cause me to wonder back in seminary, is what are the, the physical attributes of these guys? I mean, they were alive. They got promised that they would stay alive until Christ came again. But then they seem to have this magical move around the world at will. Can they, can they appear and, and disappear at will? Can, do they bend physical laws like well, they do it seems like Moroni would have had to have been of this nature because he could pick up the Book of Mormon and carry it around and he could come and go like he did. Like he appeared in Joseph's room and then left and came back and left again. Um, Joseph Smith said that uh, many have supposed that the doctrine of translation was a doctrine whereby men were taken immediately into the presence of God and into an eternal fullness. But this is a mistaken idea. Their place of habitation is that of a terrestrial order and a place prepared for such characters he held in reserve to be ministering angels unto many planets and who as yet have not entered into so great a fullness as those who are resurrected from the dead. Um, Bruce R. McConkie goes into a little bit more of the nature. He says uh, some mortals have been translated. In this state they are not subject to sorrow except for the sins of the world or to disease or, or to death. No longer does blood the life-giving element of our present mortality flow in their veins. Procreation ceases. If they had, if they then had children, their offspring would then be denied a mortal probation, which all worthy spirits must receive in due course. They have the power to move and live in both a mortal and an unseen sphere. All translated beings undergo another change in their bodies when they gain full immortality. This change is the equivalent of a resurrection. Uh, let's see. Wow. That's it. Yeah, so they have a particular nature. And, and McConkie believed that. <laughs> well, he Sounds good it, to me. So <laughs> oh, man. I what do you think of, of Moroni's coming and going? That fits the pattern of a translated being when you read about the Moroni stories. Of, so of we're the going with the assumption that the, that the three Nephites are this same nature. So they can just, they can just appear and, and disappear. So, so it makes sense then that a lot of these stories fall all in category that they could just appear and they don't have to follow physical laws. That's what we're running. That's what it sounds like. Yes. Okay. Wow. This leads me to ask the question about what the heck they're doing now in the early, a lot of the early accounts, um, they, there was a lot of tales from the Indian tribes. So, so missionaries or whoever was interacting with Indian tribes would come back and tell this legend they heard from, um, for example, there was one that I know of, um, talking about the Blackfeet Indian, the Blackfeet Indians who were up in, um, south, uh, eastern Idaho, that there was a legend that there had been these white guys who'd been working with them for some time, and that when they first gave the Book of Mormon to the Blackfeet Indians, they looked at this book and said, oh yeah, we recognize this. This is, this is like those guys were, were giving us. So in the early part of the church, as the church first started encountering um, the Native Americans, there was a strong emphasis, and the three Nephites kind of tied that together to say, yes, this is the fulfillment of the prophecy of the Book of Mormon, that the Native Americans would be turning to the gospel. Unfortunately, um, you know, 150 years later, the Blackfeet Indians really aren't that much closer to joining the church. So... I, I don't think we see as much of that sort of concreteness of what the three Nephites were doing. It was clear to the early part of the church that, hey, they were out there preparing the way. They were working among Native Americans to prepare them for the gospel. But they seem to have failed in their mission, haven't they? Well, I, th- I think the assumption is that they've been doing all that needed to get done to prepare the world for the restoration of the gospel. They were involved in getting the Bible printed into English. They were... Uh, they were involved in, in the spread of Christianity across the, across the world to to get the teachings of Christ. I mean that that's the that's the nature of these angelic missions. Is to but even things. even if even if that's the case, then if their goal and they're directly here as resurrected beings to to get Christianity spread across the world, they don't seem to be winning that 
I mean, if they got all that power, there's a lot more non-Christians than Christians, and there seems to be coming more and more of that. Well, we're trying to get Iraq and Afghanistan taken over so we can preach the gospel there. <laughs> Ooh, maybe they're in Afghanistan. Oh, that would be... <sighs> okay, um, so let's go back and... we. <laughs> I, I do have a story here that was sent in to us by um, one of our faithful listeners, Chuck. And he says he got this from his grandfather's journal. Okay, uh, and this is the journal of George Phineas Hatch. About the latter part of August 1909, I was herding goats west of Taylor, Arizona. As a neighbor, I had an Indian who was herding sheep for Lee Thomas. He was a convert of Lee's, and for three or four days we had been in the habit of visiting. Our topic was generally the Book of Mormon and Indian lore, which he would tell. One day after we had separated, I was reading the last chapter of Moroni, chapter 10, verse 4, where he says, And when ye shall receive these things, I would exhort you that you would ask of God, the Eternal Father, in the name of Christ, if these things are not true, and if you ask with a sincere heart, with real intent, having faith in Christ, he will manifest the truth of it to you by the power of the Holy Ghost. After reading this, I had a desire or prompting to know for myself. I was on a hillside with a slope to the west, and the sun was shining just as bright as it ever did. But after I had finished praying for one of the three Nephites to come and tell me if it was a correct record, for that is what I asked for, I saw a bright spot appear away, away off. And then a man who is in the light walked towards me. It was as a spotlight on the stage picking up a certain actor. The light was so bright that he came close enough to me that I could see his face. He was stocky build, perhaps five feet seven or eight inches tall, wore a black suit, black hat, white shirt, black tie, clean shaven. As he was almost close enough to converse, he went behind a cedar tree and disappeared. I don't believe the Book of Mormon is true. I know it is what it purports to be. The gospel is taught to the people on this continent by the Savior. It is also a true record of what happened to these nations when they forgot the God of this land who is Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, one thing I like about this story is it reflects some, another thing that I was kind of hinting at there, that the early accounts are very concrete. And the the individuals, oftentimes, um, I, I know of several from the early church where somebody's relaying a story, you know, before the missionaries came, and they'd say, these guys came and talked to us about blah, 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 and then Joseph Smith or somebody else would say, that was the three Nephites, you were visited by one of the three Nephites. And the brethren didn't really have any problem standing up in conference and saying, you know, the three Nephites were in Payson, or the three Nephites were doing this. And now, I don't know, you might get a talking to if you brought it up in church. <laughs> what about you, I Mike? Would, I would agree. Elder Holland's written about it. He put it in one of, one of his recent books, right? What did he, he say? He basically says that the three Nephites continue in their translated state today, just as when they went throughout the lands of Nephi. Yeah, but I mean, that's... It's a little mammy, One thing of mammy. interesting note is is all of the previous angels, the ones before Christ's time, were resurrected. So those translated beings ceased their job then. And we only get service by the angels that came post-Christ, such as the three Nephites and Moroni. And uh, I'm sure John the Beloved's out there somewhere. But I don't, I don't get the, the continuing on in their service, though. What are, what are they really doing? It's not like they're sitting down and having a chat with the, the world leaders and saying, hey, here's here's a, a problem that you're going to have. Um, that we up. know of. That we know of. Oh, yeah, that's true. See. I'm sure they sat down with the, with the Obama on a regular basis to, to discuss well, no, things. The, things have to be prepared for the gospel to reach certain areas. I'm sure they were involved in opening up China and, and these right. other areas to get the gospel preached. All right. I'm anxious to hear some of Casey's favorite stories. I want to hear some of those. Um, all right. Well, my actual very favorite story uh, usually takes place, once again, this is one that can jump, but it usually takes place during, like, pioneer, early Utah settlement time. And uh, everyone goes to church, and they're at a sacrament meeting, and usually it's the uh, white-bearded man that gets up that no one knows. And starts to deliver this, this just unbelievably inspiring. Everyone's just being moved by this talk. And just as quickly as he appeared, he just gets up and leaves the church. Um, they run out the door to see him, you know, see who he was, follow him, and he's gone. The, uh, you know, the bishop somehow 
calls or, you know, gets in touch with a different ward that is miles and miles away and starts telling this story. And the uh, bishop at that ward says, well, you know what? That exact same man is talking at our church right now. <laughs> once again, it's this idea of, of a, of a Nephite that can jump around very quickly and, uh, and using his power to inspire the members. Very cool. Kind of a root of a bishop to be on his cell phone during the guys talking on the stand. Come on, Mike. Don't criticize the leaders. <laughs> so here, one of my favorite, and I'm sure all of you guys have heard it, because there's quite a few three Nephite stories in the pioneer times, right, where they were helping them cross the plains. Mm-hmm. One of my favorites, and, I'm, and I wish I had the source of it, but I heard it so many times, is the handcart um, episodes where the one person, I don't remember who's pulling the handcart, you know, just can't go on any longer and then feels like they're going to collapse and, and finally die. And then all of a sudden, you know, they feel like there's somebody back there pushing it and, and they, they start, they see somebody there and then they don't see somebody there and they swear someone was there. That's, that's the one I remember the most. See, those stories that make more sense. I could see them being involved in trying to get the pilgrims over there. <laughs> one thing I was going to mention when you were saying that it doesn't seem like church leaders mention the three Nephites now, I would say they do it more in an implied way. So, for example, this is a talk within the past just few years at, at a general conference where they talk about, once again, it's, I'm not sure what time frame, but you know, a while ago where where a member is doing genealogy and they just cannot make this connection to to continue on with their genealogy, and then suddenly, um, you know, their kids outside in the street playing, and three men walk up to them, hand a newspaper to the kid, and says, "Go give this to your dad." The uh, kid goes and gets this newspaper to the dad, and somehow this newspaper contains the information that he needed to continue on with his genealogy. But the date of the newspaper is just like yesterday's newspaper, but it's an England newspaper. And so it'd be impossible at that time for, you know, a, a ship to travel that quickly from England to America. And so, but, but nowhere does the, uh, church leader say these were the three Nephites. It's just this kind of story that's told. And I think that's what you see that's more That's excellent now. That, that the three Nephites are even doing genealogical work. I think that's great. I seriously got a chill up my spine when you were telling that story. <laughs> well, you know what I like about that? I, I've heard a lot of those stories. And By the way, I'm pretty sure I have that on the website, and I have all the like actual links to the story, so if you want to check that one out later. Uh, one thing I like about that is it's an inside sort of wink to people from the corridor or heritage Mormons, you know, that if you're in like... Uh, I don't know, the Congo and hearing that, you're going to think, oh, that's, that's a clever story, but you're probably not going to make the connection. But, you know, everybody who grew up, uh, you know, somewhere around Payson is going to be like, yep, that's one of the three Nephites. They're just not saying. So it's, it's like an inside, <laughs> inside information. You're, you're, you're in the know when you know when a three Nephite story is being told. <laughs> All right. I've got some, I've got audio of, uh, one here. I'm going to play it. So, this is a uh, three-Nephite story. I was born and raised in the Santa Fe, New Mexico stake, and there was an elderly woman in the stake who was a convert to the church, and she related this story a few times, even at a youth conference that we had there one time, and um, supposedly when she was growing, growing up in rural New Mexico, um, and she was an LDS, that there was a somewhat of a, I want to say, vagabond slash traveler that... Um, would drop by their house that they didn't know who was, but that they would give uh, room and board to when he dropped by, and he'd drop by about every year about the same time, and supposedly discussed uh, spiritual matters, uh, gospel matters, never really mentioned anything uh, too dogmatic or too church-oriented, but would talk about the gospel and Jesus or something. And uh, she later... Um, ran into the church and supposedly her family said that they noticed similarities between what this man had uh, talked about and the doctrines of the church. And um, they ended up getting baptized. Uh, she says that 
at one point she met uh, one of the prophets. I can't remember who off the top of my head. I want to say either uh, David O. McKay or, or Kimball, but I'm not sure. And uh, she related the story to him, and supposedly he said, well, he was one of the three Nephites, and now that you know who he is, you will never see him again. So that's my three Nephite story. Later. That was from uh, Clay. Thanks, Clay. Uh, I like the spooky twist at the end. You'll, you'll never see them again. And, you know, a lot of them, and, and urban legends in general, and I, I think, um, uh, um, on your, Casey, on your website, a lot of the ones that even don't have to do with uh, three knee fights always have that little twist at the end, too. Yeah, it's definitely, and I've heard that actually more than once with, with knee fight stories that, that once you're in the know, like if you've actually seen them, then it's told to you often that it's not going to happen again, so don't be looking for them. Yeah, the, that's true. There, there are a couple themes that I, I see that come up in the stories quite often, and, and as we pointed out, they're, they're not universal, but I, I'd like to talk about those a little bit. I, I think the one with the beards is kind of obvious. Uh, you know, prophets have beards, and old guys have beards, and these guys are 2,000 years old. Um, one other thing that I, I see come up in a lot of stories is they'll talk about the gospel, but the stories never contain what they like talk about. It's always just sort of vague. Hey, he was doing churchy talk. But the more interesting things is the the vagabondy nature, um, and I think we've kind of done that. But there's another theme that pops up that I find very interesting. Oftentimes, the, one of the three Nephites will ask for food or be served food or somehow beg for food or there's food involved. But the the twist in the story is that the, th the Nephite never eats the food. So uh, the one story I'm thinking about, he comes into the door, and this is from Clarissa um, Young one of them, Brigham Young's daughters. And she talks about in, in, in Provo, come, uh, 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 a man who's very clean, that comes up quite often, very, very clean in his dress, knocks on the door, asks for some food, they lay out this food for him, he sits at the table, talks to him about churchy stuff, and then he disappears in a flash, another theme, and then they go and look and none of the food has been touched. So any of you with your uh, uh, elders quorum or high priest quorum minds can tell me what what the food has to do with anything? No, just one thing I can grow. think of is a sacramental meal. Go ahead. I don't think it means anything. It, it kind of reminds me of uh, the story with Alma and Amulek when they were uh, invited in for food. So I don't, I don't know if that has any relevance in, at all. <laughs> Maybe the fact that they didn't eat any of it meant they were continually fasting. Well, I think they might be hinting at some sort of supernaturalism, right? That they're you know that they're beggars for food, but not really needy. Yeah, and it it reminds me of uh, I hate to keep going back to this one, but uh, when Doc Hansen on the Dream Mind podcast <laughs> said that he saw that one guy saw Alma the Younger, and he always had a cigarette in his hand, but he never smoked it. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, the only thing well, I, I was could thinking of a, was it? A, Go ahead. Was it Elijah that uh, went to the woman's home and she had the the meal and the oil? And she prepared him a meal, and because she was willing to sacrifice, and then he could give her the blessing. Yeah, yeah. The, the, I was going to bring up another biblical thing, which is, of course, after um, um, Christ is resurrected, he goes and and has a meal with the um, sits down with the fish, um, and then he disappears really quick. Um, so you see some of those same themes that come with the resurrected uh, uh, Savior in, in in the Bible that tend to. So um, I don't know if that's just uh, the M.O. of resurrected or, or translated beings or they're borrowing from the Bible. I can't say. There's also the story of when uh, Mary had the Annunciation. She went and had a meal with the Father. They sat down at a table and had a meal together. Yes, true. So, Casey, do you think, that as, as you're someone who watches and has these sort of things submitted to you, do you think this sort of urban legend of the Nephites or something that's going sort of the way of the dodo and being replaced with other like uh, Donnie and Marie stories and other things like that, or are, are they still out there? Well, I think they're still out there. Um, I don't think... One thing is it might have been more accepted back in the older times to actually talk about it to where who are we to say that these such events are not happening now, yet people are a little more timid to be so open with it. Now that could just mean that's just my opinion, but uh, but I think the stories are definitely still out there. Um, 
sister missionaries being saved from serial killers. That's definitely modern. Um, I think there's there's very other modern ones where, especially among missionaries, they love to tell stories where it could have just been a coincidence. It could have just actually been a beggar, but the way that they tell a story it ends up being a Nephite. So I think that the stories are quite well alive. Um, are they as popular and as common as they used to be? No, but they're still alive. So one of the questions I've had uh, as far as how these things <clears throat> stay alive like this is it seems like the church could could help out in some of these these stories to start trying to, to push them down. And I know in some cases they've done that. There's the famous one about uh, the youth being um, generals in the army and, and things like that, that the church has come out and said, no, I so-and-so never said such and such. And it seems like some of these um, apocryphal stories that may just be running around and, and there's no um, attribution to them, wouldn't it serve the church leadership or church, the church in general to come out, or do they actually benefit from these types of stories continuing? I I personally don't think that uh, that they are invested either way. I think it helps their case. They don't mind. I mean, if if you look in the in the old Encyclopedia of Mormonism, they even have a three Nephite section in there where they address the three Nephite stories, and it says. Um, where does it say, these stories of the three Nephites are not official doctrine and are not published in official literature. So they're definitely distancing themselves to a certain degree, but I'm sure there's a part of them that really doesn't mind um, faith-promoting stories. The thing is, most three Nephite stories are personal stories. Now, the church can come out and say, no, we never said that the youth are were generals in heaven because they can actually unequivocally say, no, we never did say that. But if I start spreading a story tomorrow that I, you know, one of the three Nephites came to my house and, and told me to prepare my food storage, well, the, the church can't come out and say, no, that didn't happen. And so it's pretty hard for the church to actually come out and squash some of these stories when they're such personal stories. Yeah, good, yeah. good, good observation. I like that, that answer. But, and I noticed that most of the stories are just sort of neutral. You know, if they're, um, there, there's one that I read from a, a missionary talks about how they lost their, um, area book. And for a missionary, an area book is a book that, that contains all the goings on, where you've been tracking, who you've contacted. Sort of as missionaries change, the, the intelligence gets passed from one missionary to another. And the missionary also had his little blue, um, planner in, in that area book. And, and they don't, they didn't know where they lost them. So this this uh, guy goes on to tell a story. They fasted and prayed for quite a while to find it. And anyway, the the by and by, they they were just going to their appointments. They figured, oh, all is lost. We lost the area book. People are not going to receive the gospel because of us, and it's going to be on our heads. And they were heading to an appointment, and they said this white car pulls up, and um, out of the white car comes a, a man, and you know, just sort of a nondescript man, and he has the book, and it's all dusty, and and um. Um, like it's been kicked around for a while, and the guy says, I found this in a ditch, and I was looking through it to see who it belonged to, and I saw your planner, and I saw that you were supposed to be here at this address at 630, because it was in his, his appointment written in his planner. And the man gives it to him, and, you know, before they can say thank you, the guy hops in the car and drives away. And then the, the, um, you know, the scary twist to the end of the horror story is that, um, they lived, they were in a small town and as they explained the car and the person to the other members, no one had ever seen that person before. But the story is entirely plausible. I mean, that somebody could find the, the book. I mean, there, there's, no, there's nothing in there. It's, it's, it's an unlikely story, but there's nothing in there that's magic. And, um, the, the missionary that, himself. That story gave me a worm burning feeling in all my right <laughs> you know you know george i'm i'm beginning to worry for your soul i i'm, I'm starting to sense a little apostasy going on here <laughs> i like that story that's a good one <laughs> that story wanted me to find like the only thing i want to know more about is if it was an american-made car driving <laughs> <laughs> you know a, a chrysler or a toyota well what i liked about the story is how invested he was in that area book um, you know, because that was important to him. I don't, I don't mean to, to, to make fun of the, the, the guy. It was, it was an important thing to him and it was something, it was something that happened. And actually, to, on the same, on the same line, Zilpha ha has a three Nephite story. She didn't want to stay up this late. Um, 
But um, her family one time got stuck on the side of the road. And it was her mother, and she had several small children's and, and children. And she said a, a, a man appeared kind of out of nowhere and helped push them out. And then when they turned around to thank him, he was gone. Well, and when Zilpha told me that story, I said, you know what? There have been times when I have seen somebody stuck on the side of the road in the snow, and I've parked the side, got out, pushed them, and as soon as they started moving, I hopped back in my car and I left. So maybe I'm one of the three Nephites, at least in a story. Uh, because <laughs> what are you going to do? Are, are you going to wait around to, you know, to, 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 to get a quarter or something, you know? Hey, lady, where's my thank you? You know, so sort of the, and he just disappeared element might be um, just because that's the way people act. Possibly, or or maybe it really is the three Nephites disappearing and reappearing everywhere. But, uh, to, to, yeah, yeah, to the point of the church, I think most of the stories are this sort of, they're just doctrinally neutral. The church doesn't really have an interest in squashing them because, you know, so the three Nephites come help you change a tire. Uh, what's the point of, of commenting on the, the truth value of that? But they would squash a story if someone said, the, one of the three Nephites came to me and told me that the LDS church is an apostasy, that we should start this new branch of church. <laughs> that that they might take issues with. Now, now, now Tom, did you find—I I looked briefly for anything like that, that somebody used the three Nephites to bolster sort of a—and um, I couldn't find anything overt where they had said, the you know, the three Nephites— um, in what? In some of the other uh, divisions? Yeah, yeah, where they've used the three Nephites to try to establish authority or their prophetic mantle. I, yeah, I, I'd heard rumblings. I, I don't have any sources. I do know that uh, some of the earlier branches um, mention the three Nephites, but I, I'm just, I'm just going from a really vague memory that of me reading some of those. Yeah, I've heard rumblings with the um, FLDS, but I, I can't put my finger on anything specifically. Um, but I know that there's a lot of uh, um, stories of the three Nephites giving uh, blessings, right? Where they they heal people too. As well. Yeah, that, that's the other thing I was going to mention. That's a common thread in the story is oftentimes they um, there was one that I was reading where the um, the uh, a man showed up and made a mixture of juniper berries and some other kind of uh, you know strange things they found out there, and they oftentimes touch to heal or give the vague promise, you know, you'll get better and, and then they get better. Um, so, so those stories are, are, are quite common also. But once again, to go back to their original purpose, the, I guess the most troubling thing, or I, I don't know if it's troubling. I, I have, I have a problem tying all these actions, the changing of the tires and the warning about food storage and even healing sick people to any sort of divine sort of big mission as the Book of Mormon lays out. Mike, what do you say about that? That that was my questioning on a lot of these is, is what's the purpose behind it? You know, an angel has a, has a goal in, in mind to make sure that people are brought into the covenants and they receive the priesthood ordinances. Uh, so I can start spreading the word of Christ, getting the Bible printed, opening up new areas for missionaries to be able to go into and work. Uh, changing a tire is, is, is a little iffy. Yeah, you know, you'd think they'd do better things than hang out in Tooele and with a jack iron. But, um, hey, come on. <laughs> Maybe that is important. <laughs> now, 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 Mike, this is the second or third time you've mentioned the printing press. Do you have a story up your sleeve on the three Nephites with the, uh, the Gutenberg Bible or something? I do. I've heard apostles and prophets mention that they were involved in that work. Uh, and they, they would be involved in those things, but I don't have any specific stories. Now, now there is a story that, and I didn't track it down, but um, there is one that talks about the three Nephites, or at least one of the three Nephites, being present during the founding moments of the country. Um, so this is passed around. I, I'm pulling this out of the About the Three Nephites by Douglas and Jewel um, Beardall, a, a book that I, was written a couple years ago. Go ahead. The same story, but that was Moroni. <laughs> well, they, they talk about a stranger or professor who looked to be about 70 years of old, who had a curious box filled with ancient writings. Now, I, I do have to say that um, Farms did a review of this book, and they um, kind of castigated it for playing fast with the, with the accounts. But they go on and talk about how the stranger was there during the the um, um, during the signing of the declaration, and that the stranger suggested that they hike the Union Jack 
um, over George Washington's camp on January 1st, 1776. So I can see the sort of, we talked about Christopher Columbus, we talked about the founding, that if you want to argue that the three Nephites were there in the, um, you know, big founding moments, but um, uh, unfortunately most of the stories are, are more sort of banal. Isn't some of the founding fathers Mormon? Well, they're all Mormons now, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess. That's Wolf Ruler take care of that. On the uh, website, I do get into the uh, whether a Nephite or it is commonly also thought of as Moroni, whether some sort of Mormon person was at the signing of the Declaration of Independence. Um, back it up with quite a few sources. So if you're going to go and check that out, I uh, pretty much come to the conclusion that that is definitely a legend and there's no evidence out there, any sort of report to back that up. So, so is that anything that shows up anywhere but in uh, Mormon church lore? I, I didn't bother to tell no, that. That's, it actually came from the uh, mouth of Ronald Reagan at one time, saying that there was, you know, of course when when someone that's not LDS tells that story, it's just some sort of, you know, godly angel or whatever, you know, some higher being that's, that's helping out. But yeah, that... that Breaches further than just the LDS community. I, don't we don't we want to hurry and mention too that uh, there's there's sightings of Cain. Well, we're talking about people that uh, are living long and long and long, uh, tarrying about. Isn't Cain one of the rumors too? Well, I have to say that as I was hitting these stories, the Cain stories are better stories. And um, of course, uh, to all the uninitiated listeners, Cain is Bigfoot. Um, in, 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 in Mormon, in Mormon legends. And I think we'll have to, we'll have to have an, uh, uh, another show, um, to, to talk about that one. But there, there is on the same note, there is that my one favorite story of Joseph Smith and, um, was it, um, that, and I can't remember who, who, who it was. They were riding the wagon and they were passed by, by Moroni's, um, heading down the trail as fast as, as he could go. This white haired gentleman. And Joseph later said he was carrying the plates back to Mer- to the Hill Camorra. Uh, I don't okay. know. I can't remember what the source of that one is. I'll have to look it up. But was he headed towards New York, South America? <laughs> I, I I don't know if he was heading towards Belize or to to, to New York. To tell you the truth, <laughs> uh, I, I hit the I came Bigfoot legend on my website, so people can go there to find out more if they're interested. All right, great, Casey. It's been fun. Um, your website is holyfetch dot com. Um, and we invite people to head over there or just, you know, you can just Google, uh, three Nephites. They have their own Wikipedia page full of all sorts of fun facts, um, for the three Nephites. Um, and maybe we'll have to have you back when we talk about Kane and Bigfoot. All right. As always, the discussion continues on the website at mormonexpression.com. Uh, you can, uh, send us an email at mail at mormonexpression.com.